Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. It's kind of fun because we've been predicting the renaissance for a while. At least now you know what happened before the renaissance. Dark ages, baby. So we're going to look at hormones and women's health. And this is going to be on the um, part that we can talk about in public. But since we're living in a socialist environment, the censored portion will be uh, the why okay, behind the, what's going on. And you'll see there's going to be a lot of things on um, economy and vaccines and a bunch of other stuff that uh, you can't really say in public. Now, all this will be on the drbvip.com uh, .com site, and I encourage you, please share this. We have been shadow banned um, on YouTube and Facebook, and uh, they deleted some of our videos. They demonetized us. So if you see this content, please, please, please share it. And if you can support us on the Dr. BVIP, God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, this stuff takes a lot of work. And uh, we're also on the Extreme Health Academy. And I'm going to be doing another two-and-a-half-hour seminar or webinar for them, not this week, but the week after. Now, and this is a really cool article to start. Um, it was by Michael Borkin, uh, Journal of Alternative Medicine. Uh, quote, people tend to think of women's hormone problems as starting in midlife, the onset of menopause. In fact, a dysfunctional pattern can be begin during adolescence or even before birth. The severity of hormonal patterns increase with age, but it's not aging per se that has the decline. It's most often the cumulative physiologic effects of stress that cause disruptions in the natural rhythms and balance mechanisms of women's hormones, thereby compromising overall health as well as sexual and reproductive health. End of quote. That makes so much sense. So imagine that. If you have a stress response and it alters your hormones, you don't deal with the stressors, but you give them a drug to counteract the hormonal adaptation. doesn't make sense. So let's look at some female-specific diseases. I mean, we got um, menstrual irregular use, um, irregularities, urinary tract health, pelvic floor disorders, polycystic ovary syndrome, endometriosis. Uh, breast cancer is super common in women and rare in men, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, and pregnancy issues. Now, the most common disorders in, in illnesses of women thyroid, and this is hyper or hypo. Gallstones, it's three to four times more common in women than men. And we know that because gallstones are what are they formed of? They're formed of stress hormones that are released in the blood, and then they're stored and concentrated in bile in that gallbladder in order to emulsify and break down fats. Migraines is also, it's a three to one ratio for women. Irritable bowel syndrome, urinary tract infections, in fact, kidney disease and autoimmune diseases, three-quarters of the 12 million Americans that have an autoimmune disease are women. And one, one of the biggest things, and this is huge, is we have to look at, at what goes on our skin. And I know it seems, seems bizarre, but if you figure, okay, shampoo, is that important? Yeah, if you got sodium lauryl sulfate, um, glycerides, it could be eye damage, it can pierce the skin, and those are carcinogenic. Eyeshadows, did you know more, most eyeshadows? 
They're linked to cancer, infertility, and hormonal disruption. Lipstick. Lipstick has a huge amount of other chemicals in there. Some of them actually have lead. Uh, nail varnish, perfume, fake tan, uh, deodorants, anything that you put on your skin, anything you put on your skin um, is going to be um, uh, absorbed in your body. So, so really looking at what you put on your skin is hugely important. Now, those chemicals are called endocrine disruptors. Now, they mimic hormones. They signal cell death. They bind a certain hormone. So that means that, that almost every chemical you put on your skin, to, uh, unless it's natural and organic, it mimics a hormone. They're called endocrine receptors. Now, they accumulate hormone production in producing organs. Uh, they interfere with hormone signaling. They increase production of certain hormones and decrease production of others. Now, when we look at this, that where, where are they found? Um, pharmaceuticals, children toys, adult toys, food products, textiles, shower curtains, uh, food containers, perfume, pesticides. I mean, it's everywhere, even certain foods. Now, I want to bring up um, an article, and this is from cancer.gov. Now, it, there is a, a, a drug that they passed out from 1940 to 1971. Now, this drug was supposed to be amazing. It was going to prevent miscarriages, premature labor, and uh, complications related to pregnancy. Now, the use of, and it's called um, diethylstilbestrol, or DES. Now, the, the use of DES declined after studies in the 50s showed it wasn't effective in doing any of those things. It didn't uh, prevent miscarriages or premature labor or pregnancy complications. But what they did find out that um, prenatal births, so if a mom took this, that there was an, ex, um, an increase in cancers of the kids in cervix and vaginal area. And soon after, the FDA notified physicians in the country that DES should not be prescribed to pregnant women. So think of that. You got a drug that was approved. It was used for 30 years, 31 years. And they found out that there was a problem. Now, the, the bummer of that, the daughters, they're called DES daughters, they had higher rates of cancers. But the granddaughters, so this drug given to pregnant women, had a higher rate of um, exposure to the children of the children. Okay, here's, here's part of the, again, this is from cancer.gov. However, another analysis showed that DES granddaughters began their menstrual periods later, were more likely to have menstrual irregularities than women of the same age, and there was also an increase in infertility, um, and they tended to have fewer live births. So you're talking about a drug that was on the market for 30 years that negatively affected, they found out later. Um, just, just know that in the censored part of this talk, we're going to talk about the current COJAB, COVID jab. Okay, I'm trying to like hide it, um, it so the censors don't pick it up, but we're going to talk about the huge rise in fertility issues and pregnancy issues and how they're trying to cover it up. Um, so the DES daughters also had problems with fertility and pregnancy. Um, there was a really good article of Endocrine Review. This was out of 2009. Observations of uncommon 
vaginal adenocarcinoma in daughters born 15 to 22 years earlier to, to women who'd been treated with the synthetic estrogen DES. I, I, you know, the arrogance and ignorance of a doctor that's going to prescribe a drug that alters hormones um, without, you know, thinking about the consequences. Um, it's it's mind-blowing. So um, let's look at other things. So we know that bromine is an endocrine disruptor. And again, when we're looking at hormones prescribed to, to women, let's find out what the long-term effect is. And any drug, if that can affect two or three generations down, then... Um, you know, perhaps it needs to be rethought. Now, when we're looking at bromine, there's three different sources of bromine. Um, pesticides, okay, that's methylbromine. It's used on strawberries if they're not organic in California. Um, plastics, okay, that's another source of bromine. And baked goods and flowers. It's a dough conditioner. Um, it's also um, in soft drinks. It's in medications, fire retardants. The problem with bromine, it's an endocrine disruptor. Now, um, when we're utilizing iodine, and if you remember the old um, chart, um, iodine, bromine, fluoride, and chlorine are all halides, and they're all in that one section of that table of elements. And since they're, they've been using bromine as... Um, as an, uh, uh, to replace the iodine-based anti-caking agents to bromine-based agents. Now, that's a bummer because they're, they're all halides. And this is iodine, bromine, fluorine, and chlorine. Now, bromine and fluorine can't be broken down, so they build up in your tissues. They also block the action of iodine. Now, iodine <clears throat> has four main functions in the body. It can stabilize metabolism of body weight, vital for brain development, fertility, and iodine is a potent antibacterial and antiparasitic, antiviral, anti-cancer agent. Iodine is amazing. Now, knowing that the thyroid burns iodine like a car burns gas, what are the consequences of an overstimulated or exhausted thyroid? And how would you get that? By not taking enough iodine and getting exposure to toxic chemicals like bromine, fluoride, and chlorine depression, heart disease, fibromyalgia, memory problems. And, and when you look at this, why are women more susceptible to stress? Well, because cortisol. Cortisol is the one, number one um, hormone that's produced by the adrenal glands in response to tissue damage and inflammation. But it also um, imbalances and deregulates female hormones such as estrogen. Now, both estrogen and progesterone are necessary for the normal female cycle. <clears throat> now, the menstrual cycle further depletes the body of nutrients. So if you're exposed to tissue damage okay, or stress where your body's going to produce the cortisol, it down-regulates your female hormones, such as estrogen. Now, emotional stress, you've got to figure, this is the highest emotional stress that our country in years, you know, where you have to cover your face anywhere you go, um, you know, there's forced vaccinations and the destruction of our economy and country, high emotional stress. There's also physical stress, okay, and this is going to be from 
office work or not being able to exercise. And then chemical stress. Chemical stress is going to be uh, genetically modified. It's going to be vaccines. It's going to be the chemicals inside of um, food products and shampoos and makeup. Now, let's look, since we're talking about women's health, let's look at breast cancer. Now, we can look at non-invasive versus invasive. Now, non-invasive, the most common, is called ductal carcinoma in situ. And it's also, there's also one called lobar carcinoma in situ. Now, both of these are non-invasive. And in fact, one-third, before my mammography, only 3% of detected breast cancers were identified as DCIS. Now that they're doing mammographies, which are actually illegal in some countries because they damage the tissue and harm the breast, um, now you're looking at a third of them are ductal carcinoma in situ. Now, a DCS diagnosis, you're figuring a third of them remove the breast. 48% get lumpectomy and radiation. Um, 3% do nothing. So you're talking about some, if you have this diagnosis, you're going to have some severe um, interventions. Now, what's interesting is there is a study by the Journal of the American Medical Association that looked at DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ, 25-year-long study from the International Journal of Cancer. They found that 80% of early-stage breast cancers don't progress to more concerning invasive breast cancers, even after 20 years. Now, so what they did is they renamed ductal carcinoma in situ. Okay, quote, the use of the term cancer should be reserved for describing lesions with a reasonable likelihood of lethal progression if left untreated. Pre-malignant conditions such as ductal carcinoma in situ should not be labeled as cancers or neoplasia, nor should the word cancer be in the name. Wow, that's kind of exciting. So think of it. I know I know it's kind of a challenge because you're talking over the past 30 years, over a million women had their breast removed um, based on the screening for something that was never cancer. Now, I know what you're thinking, but the great God Fauci has never made a mistake. Okay, well, I'm talking right now about a hormone that was passed out for 30 years. And again, 30 years of screening um, breast cancers for something that is no longer breast cancer. Um, now, what do they do? Chemotherapy. What's wild is chemotherapy is a toxic chemical put in the body. Now, um, it, it kills rapidly dividing cells, so it can affect bone marrow, which produces blood. It can affect the digestive, reproductive system, and hair follicles. <clears throat> the problem is chemotherapy doesn't work. Well, it does work some of the time. Like, there was a great study out of the Journal of Clinical Oncology that cytotoxic chemotherapy, five-year survival rates, helped with 2.3% in Australia and 2.1% in America. So read that backwards, 97.7% of the time it didn't work. Now, um, whether any common cancer could be cured by chemotherapy has yet to be established, and this is... Professor John Carnes from Harvard University. Now, mastectomy. You know, we have some famous people doing famous people doing mastectomies as a prophylactic. However, it's not a benign surgery. There's nerve damage again that affect the arm and the shoulder. There's lymphedema. Removing the lymph nodes make you more susceptible to more serious illness. 
um, seroma, I mean other tumors. It's not a benign procedure. Now, the U.S. government admitted chemotherapy and radiation cause cancer. Now, this was out of um, here it is, compositions for method and treating and preventing pathologies including cancer. This is um, out of the U.S. government. Uh, quote, current approaches to combat cancer rely primarily on the use of chemical radiation, uh, chemicals and radiation, which are themselves carcinogenic and may promote recurrences and development of metastatic diseases. I mean, we know the war on cancer is crazy. Okay, it's um, the American Cancer Society is more interested in accumulating wealth than saving lives. And that was a quote from the Chronicles of Philanthropy. Um, Dr. Linus Pauling, back in the 80s, wrote, everyone should know that most cancer research is largely a fraud. Um, we know that over the last 32 years, okay, population increased 38, breast cancer increased 300%. Uh, so, um, you know, we're, we're losing the war. But there is a ray of hope. Dr. Thomas N. Seafried, okay, world-renowned researcher in fields of genetics and biochemistry. He wrote a book, Cancer as a Metabolic Disease, which is brilliant. I encourage you to read it because he said that cancer is an adaptive physiology. Um, he, he goes on to state that cancer is not genetic, and the view of that it, cancer is genetic is no longer credible. <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> that is. <coughs> I tell you one thing: if you're drinking a cup of coffee, <coughs> don't breathe it in. Oh my God, coffee is wonderful though. <coughs> so, Doctor Seyfried goes in to say that the causative factors of cancer are infections, low oxygen. That's why when you know you see someone wearing a mask. Hypoxia is the torch to cancer. It, it gets cancer going up through the roof. <clears throat> Inflammation, environmental toxins, radiation, and there's a number of carcinogens. Now, it's interesting. There's no magic pill to prevent cancer, and this is in the, out of the book from Cancers and Metabolic Disease. A new era will emerge for cancer management and prevention once cancer becomes recognized as a metabolic disease. What is that new procedure? <clears throat> Recognizing the stress response. The stress response, knowing that these diseases that women are suffering from, and I'm talking infertility, poor menstrual cycles, everything, is from stressors. Chemical stressors from medications and toxic food and toxic environment and toxic medical interventions. Now, what happens is, the, under physical, chemical, and emotional stress, your body responds the same to all three. The first stage of the stress response, and the emotional area, the amygdala interprets um, emotion and, and it perceives danger. Instantly it sends a signal, distress signal, to the hypothalamus. Now the hypothalamus has one uh, part in the hormonal system and one part in the autonomic nervous system. And so this controls breathing, blood pressure, blood vessels. That's why when you're stressed, oh my gosh, pupils dilate. 
And then we have that automatic nervous system response. So the, the fight or flight is activated under stress, and the rest, digest, and repair and regenerate is suppressed. That's why under people under chronic stress tend to lose their menstrual cycles and do a number of other things. Then uh, further along the stress response, the adrenal glands start producing adrenaline or epinephrine. This increases heart rate. It increases oxygen. <clears throat> triggers the release of blood sugar from fat storage. Then you have the second stage of the stress response, the hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal axis, the HPA axis. And, and this is huge because the adrenal glands kick up. And remember, the adrenal glands are the pharmacy of the body. They produce everything your body needs. But if you're in a stress response, it's going to be producing the stress hormones, not the response hormones. <clears throat> now, cortisol is an anti-inflammatory and one of the first ones, first hormones produced under stress. Now, initially, it increases in um, amino acids. So these are the building blocks of proteins in the blood and liver. Then it converts amino acids to glucose for primary fuel. Then it increase, stimulates the glycogen broken down to the liver to glucose, and it mobilizes fatty acids. So cortisol has got some great, great um, functions. It also counteracts inflammation and allergies. It prevents a loss of sodium in the urine. It's amazing. A maladaption or to chronic stress, that puts you in a stress state or sympathetic dominant state. And this affects the digestion, reproductive, and endocrine system. It literally has lack of blood flow to those or areas. And the adrenals can, can become fatigued and cortisol usually drops. <clears throat> Under this stress, and it's physical, chemical, or emotional stress, um, blood sugar levels increase, protein synthesis decreases, muscle wasting, osteoporosis. And that's the key. When you get someone diagnosed with osteoporosis or low-functioning thyroid or um, adrenal fatigue, none of this stuff are diseases. They're all adaptations to physical, chemical, or emotional stress. <clears throat> when we look at chronic stress and the adrenals, adrenal fatigue, you're talking depression, osteoporosis, inflammation, low blood pressure, um, everything. So how can you get your body healthy? Number one, detoxing from fluorine and bromine. How do you do that? High-dose high iodine. Now, we have get our iodine from ancient purities in England, um, but it, all it is is two little drops a day in a cup of water. Um, high-dose vitamin C, unrefined sea salt. So sea salt with dark brown or gray in color is amazing. Epsom salts baths can also start to detox, and even sweating in an infrared sauna is amazing. This will detox from the fluorine and bromine. <clears throat> now, solution for iodine deficiency, because if you've been exposed to bromine, fluoride, all of that, um, harvested seaweeds. Now, you need about 5 grams a day or about an ounce a week. Um, but also, seaweed is amazing. It has selenium, vit vitamin A, D, zinc, B vitamins, omega-3s. Um, you need all of these things in order to utilize iodine properly. So it's not just taking the iodine, um, but that supplementation by adding sea vegetables to your diet is amazing. Um, vitamin D. When you're taking vitamin D, and there's a lot of controversy on this, that it's um, a hormone. 
Well, kind of, but you need to take vitamin D with magnesium and K2. That's the key. And your vitamin D deficiency increases your risk of heart disease and cancer. But you have got to take it with magnesium and uh, vitamin K2. Now, magnesium, about 80% of Americans are deficient in magnesium. And it, there's over 3,751 magnesium binding sites on human protein. So it is one of the most important. But when you're talking chronic fatigue, hormonal imbalance, depression, anxiety, a lot of those could be magnesium deficiency. And where do you get magnesium? Dark green leafy vegetables, nuts and seeds, mackerel. Oh, God, I love mackerel. Beans and lentils, avocados, bananas, fruits, dates. I mean, just fantastic. Now, also, to detox, so what do you have to do? If you're suffering from nutrient deficiencies, get healthy nutrients. Um, exercise is fantastic, but nasal breathing is amazing. So when you're talking in a stress state, if you're able to breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, when you breathe in, your tummy fills up with air because nasal breathing increases nitric oxide. Now, this is made by your sinus or the mucous membranes up there. When you breathe in through your nose, nitric oxide is a bronchodilator and vasodilator. That means it opens up the air tubes and the blood tubes. And nitric oxide lowers blood pressure, increases oxygen absorption, kills bacteria and viruses. I know when you hear this stuff, you think, well, gee, how stupid would it be to cover your face and rebreathe in your own waste? You're right. You're right. There's no hard data to back that. It's insane. Um, so how do you get your body healthy? Get healthy organic nutrients, uh, the vitamin D, the detoxing, get healthy amounts of the iodine, nasal breathe, exercise, fantastic. And this just means a half hour a day every day and then prayer and meditation. I know it seems um, crazy to recommend prayer and meditation, but remember, physical, chemical, and emotional stressors are all adaptations um, to, to that stimulus. And so if you can meditate, you're getting in the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, if you can deep breathe, you're getting in the parasympathetic nervous system. If you, and if you're in a stress state, you're in that fight-or-flight state, and you're going to produce hormones appropriate for that area. But remember, when you're in a stress state, you're not producing proteins to get good, thick hair. You're not producing you know, healthy digestive tracts. You're in a stress state, and this means that you're not, um, you're not producing the amino acids from the proteins to rebuild a healthy body. So dealing with the physical, chemical, and emotional stressors are the key. Now, I'm going to have a ton of references tonight because there's, there's a lot. But one of the things that we have to talk about in the last couple of minutes is um, the fourth wave. Um, <clears throat> a quote from Hermann Goering, the only thing that a government needs to turn people into slaves is fear. If you can find something that makes them afraid, you can make them do whatever you want, and that is the key. Now, um, in France, they're, they're starting the fourth wave. Now, we have to got to either learn to live 
on our planet, okay, and I mean live by understanding that you're designed to live here. And if you're sick, you're more susceptible to viruses. If you're healthy, you're not susceptible to viruses. There's no such thing as asymptomatic carriers. Even the great God Fauci said that. <clears throat> but now in um, the, they're going to keep renaming new variants. And so get ready for the fourth and fifth wave. Uh, what we have to do is stand up and stop it. Now, I'm looking at, and this is uh, out of the UK, um, they have alpha variants, beta, gamma, delta, zeta, eta, theta. They've got 20 different variants of the COVID vaccine or the COVID virus. And if you think of that, no kidding, how many variations of the flu are there? COVID or the coronaviruses have been around us since time immemorial. It's a third of all the most common flus. We know that there was not an increase in deaths last year. I know it sounds crazy, but now um, there is hope. Now, this was out of the Daily Mail, um, and this is from, again, the UK. And there's an uproar around the world about vaccine passports. And I've got to read this to you. Quote, Vaccine passports, it's all over. Cabinet agrees it's time to live with COVID, and you won't have to show proof of vaccination to attend mass gatherings. Ministers are set to shelve plans for mandatory use of COVID certification. Plans for pubs and restaurants had already been on the back burner, and the mail can now um, reveal that ministers have also dropped the idea of imposing them on mass events. So there's, there's some victories for those who cherish freedom uh, in, in the U.K., but also you may have heard that our president wants to go door-to-door -door knocking on things. Okay, listen to this. This is from the Governor McMaster's of Greenville, South Carolina. A South Carolina decision to vaccinate or is a personal one for them and not one made by the government. Uh, enticing, coercing, intimidating, and mandating or pressuring anyone to take a vaccine is bad policy which deteriorates the public trust and the state's vaccination efforts. So look like we've got some people that are speaking up. Does Dr. John Bergman, all of this stuff is going to be on tonight. God bless you, and I love you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.